um, which he incorporated later on when he established Wat Pong and became a teacher there and set up that monastery. This is the background um, to where he got his understanding and ways of practice from and he carried them on in his teaching at Wobbapong and it's important for us to understand that. So we're practicing here as disciples of Tanajan Chah and we have some confidence and conviction that he was a teacher who went all the way in his practice to the very highest level to the cessation of suffering and that what he was teaching was that way, that very way of practice that leads to the end of suffering and us coming into the road practicing here we all have that aspiration and it's because our aspiration is we want to reach Nibbana, we want to reach the cessation of suffering, um, that knowledge, that, that experience and so it is very important to have that goal clear in your mind and then to understand and study what is the way that will lead to that goal. Once we have this conviction in both Ajahn Chah's own um, reaching of the ultimate goal of the practice and our own aspiration to follow the path that leads to this ultimate goal, the end of suffering in the practice, then our practice will we'll follow from that conviction, that faith, that confidence we have. And Ajahn Chah taught very directly what is the way to the end of suffering. All his teachings that he encouraged, the way of practice he encouraged was very directly uh, supporting um, that goal. And that practice, that way of practice must begin with sila, morality as its foundation. Whether we're a novice keeping the ten precepts, we're a bhikkhu keeping the pati moka, the, the, the vinaya of a bhikkhu. It has the, the way of practice that leads to the end of suffering has to grow out of the foundation of sila and the practice of composure, restraint in the sila. And sila is actually um, a very detailed practice. There are many aspects to it. There's indriya samwara sila, learning to practice restraint of the senses to bring up mindfulness with sense contact there's Pachawekana uh, Sila contemplation of the use of requisites the correct way to view the requisites that we obtain from lay people, the food, the, the roads, the lodgings, medicines um, there are many aspects of Sila but one has to see this is the, the heart, the foundation of the practice and one ha has to get that established you are all probably familiar with the uh, rules of the Patimoka. Um, the qualities that the practice of the Patimoka, restraint in the Patimoka brings up is the quality of carefulness, cautiousness with our actions, our speech, what we're doing. Um, we also have the rules outside the Patimoka, many rules in the Vinaya, and they're also directed to that same end, bringing up a sense of restraint, composure and care, carefulness looking after our, our minds, our body, speech and mind. We also have the practice of Chiwa uh, Parisuddhisila, the way we earn our livelihood as such, as because we are armed mendicants, we have to be frugal and careful how we obtain our requisites, we have to obtain them in the proper way, in a modest way, 
without being a burden on the laity, without asking uh, things from the laity if they haven't invited us. Um, we have to really think carefully about um, the way we obtain our requisites and then the way we use the requisites. We have to learn how to be content with little, um, frugal, modest in the way we use requisites. Um, these are the kind of practices that Ajahn Chah emphasized as, as the way for a Samana Bhikkhu to develop his practice. And of these different aspects of the practice of Sila, Indriya Sangra Sila is probably what brings the mind inwards in the most refined way. Uh, developing mindfulness with all scent contact when the eyes see forms, ears hear sounds, uh, nose contact smells, tongue contact tastes and the body uh, has touch and feelings of cold warmth and so on. Bringing mindfulness to all that sense contact is the heart of practice, the bringing up of samadhi, the uh, sati samadhi and the bringing up of what we say the state of um, balance or equanimity where we're not letting the mind go to either liking that sense contact or disliking but there's just enough mindfulness to know the sense contact that is taking place and then let go and if we can keep doing that developing that mindfulness that restraint at that point this is where we'll gain um, peace in the on the first level of our practice if we can just have enough mindfulness and not give in to the, the attractiveness of pleasant sense contact, the uh, unattractiveness un- of unpleasant sense contact. We just keep our mind aware of it but without giving in to those um, desires or kilesas, then we can experience peace in our practice. So once we have a faith, confidence in this practice, we have to keep developing mindfulness at the point of sense contact. Um, for instance, we can notice our reactions. Say our eyes um, are looking at a member of the opposite sex, a lady female form, and does it bring up attraction, interest? We have to have enough mindfulness to catch that reaction and see the sense of delight that might arise. Or compare it, say, to when you just see members of the same sex, you might just have a more neutral reaction, um, uninterested. Um, or you look at something like, say, just a tree or a mountain, the reaction is probably very neutral. Then some other reactions we have would be um, dislike. When we see a form, uh, something we find ugly or that we don't like, then we'll bring up some aversion in the mind. We have to develop enough mindfulness to catch these reactions, and we'll see they're divided into three main um reactions that we, we get, feelings that we get, we get pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings and neutral feelings or opaca and to catch that, to stop it forming into uh, craving, feeling going on, say pleasant feelings leading to the arising of delighting, um, unpleasant feelings leading on to aversion, to have enough mindfulness to stop that happening. So this is very much a practice Lumpur Chai emphasized. It's one of the Apanaka Patipata, one of those practices that's never wrong and that should be developed. Indriya Sangwara. Keep bringing up mindfulness with sense contact. Uh, sense contact is pleasant, sense contact is unpleasant. And maybe notice, say, when you're on your own, 
in a quiet place how but it tends to be more of a sense contact that's coming up in the mind itself what we call Dhamma Aramanas memories, imagination, visions and stuff coming up in the mind that can also bring up uh, liking and delighting or aversion, dissatisfaction um, keep bringing up this mindfulness to cut off the proliferation that will come from sense contact of all these different senses um, your aim is to just keep dropping the proliferation and come bringing the mind back to just mindfulness and awareness of that sense contact so our aim is to keep bringing up mindfulness to um, stop the proliferation that comes from the attraction and the aversion with sense contact um, and to keep contemplating uh, the nature of these um, moods, the, the proliferation that does arise to see um, how it's all anicca, it's dukkha, anatta it's, um, this is, when we contemplate like this we're contemplating to help us to let go of that attachment or the sense of self that forms around all those reactions that are, are forming when we're unmindful we get caught into liking when we're unmindful we get caught into a, aversion but when we establish mindfulness and see the impermanent, unsatisfactory nature of these things, the lack of self in these things, then you can cut off that attachment. The more we practice this, the more we'll be bringing the mind back to the present moment, just observing what's arising in the present moment. And we say we'll be seeing the Dhamma in the present moment. So when we have this continuous mindfulness, and uh, sense restraint practicing that continuously is that's when we have the chance to really see the Dhamma it's when we really see the Dhamma that our own sense of confidence in the practice, in our own practice will grow our sense of doubts, uncertainty about the practice will start to fade away and the more we can keep developing this practice the, the stronger, the firmer we'll we'll feel we are in the practice, the stronger our commitment to the practice and generally uh, um, the better things will go, the, the more results, uh, the more success we'll have from the practice. As we contemplate like this, practice like this, we'll gradually gain more confidence, more faith in our own ability to practice because we'll start to see how the mind is calming down, becoming more peaceful through the practice of sense restraint and having mindfulness continuously like this um, we'll both be able to see uh, sometimes after the event how um, when the mind does get caught into proliferation it's stirred by sense contact gets caught into proliferation as either delighting or in or averse to the contact but we'll see through constant practice returning to mindfulness returning to contemplation we'll see how that um, proliferation and the moods generated are impermanent they don't last and the more we keep practicing we might see that impermanence and the unsatisfactoriness the lack of self in these moods that are arising as they arise not just after the event and as we practice like this more we have more confidence in our own ability to bring the mind to peace let go of these things and so we start to experience what we call the separation between the mind that knows things and is, is complete with mindfulness and wisdom and just the experience of sense contact and the moods that it might be um, conditioning to arise in the mind there'll be a sense of separation between them which is, will give us a sense of peace and confidence in our own practice
As you practice, you also come to understand how the practice of samadhi, the firmness of mind, grows out of this practice of sila, the four parishuddhi silas of purity of sila, and particularly indriya-sangwara. Um, as the mind becomes firm in its practice of indriya-sangwara, being mindful of sense contact, letting go of the aversion, the attracting the aversion, then the mind will start to gather together and unify in samadhi more and more. It will have that firmness. And in the beginning, maybe just for short periods, short moments, what we call momentary samadhi, tanika samadhi, uh, as it deepens in the practice, have what we longer periods of this state of firmness, um, which is upajara samadhi, or samadhi that's close to one point of this. <coughs> and then finally, um, deeper samadhi of one-pointed um, apana samadhi but we'll see how it grows or matures out of the practice of um, India somewhere and the other other parasitisila and as we keep practicing and experiencing more continuity of mindfulness more firmness of mind samadhi arising then the factors of samadhi will start to experience them uh, we'll have more periods when we experience pity and sukha, rapture and happiness. And again, we'll see how these also, these factors of samadhi, the, the, the pity and the sukha arise out of the, the practice of basic sense restraint, restraint of actions, speech, mind, uh, on the most basic level and gradually growing into a much more refined practice where the mind gathers together and the experience of pity and sukha might not just be momentary, but it's um, stays with with one for quite long periods, maybe up to a whole hour. One seems has the experience of the mind letting go of things and just gathering together, unifying in samadhi, maybe for a whole hour. It's just very strong pity and sukha. This arising of pity and sukha, or joy and happiness, is um, a very important aspect of the practice and the maturity and the growth of the practice because it's what nourishes the mind. Um, when we do have these periods where there's pity and sukha arising, then that will dispel uh, doubts, depression, negativity we have, um, and any kind of tendency to want to give up the practice that will fade at that time. We'll have a lot of interest and energy for the practice, so it's obviously very beneficial for us. And uh, to keep up our wholesome efforts to develop mindfulness that it's out of the continuous practice of mindfulness and restraint and we will gradually experience more pity and sukha um, it's this sense of pity and sukha gives one a sense of satisfaction and fullness of mind and it can only grow out of this continuous practice of mindfulness so uh, Venerable Ajahn Chah emphasized over and over again we have to practice mindfulness in all postures, sitting, uh, walking, standing, lying down. And he, he gave teachings such as whether you're walking forwards, you have sati, whether you're walking backwards, you have sati, whether you're standing still, you have sati. It's that emphasis on the development of continuous awareness in all postures and the directing of sati to the four foundations of mindfulness, to the posture, the body, to the feelings, to the mind, to the dhammas. Um, the more continuity we have in that arising of sati, the more this sense of fullness, completeness of mind arises and gives us 
more confidence in the practice, um, we have less doubt, less uncertainty, so our, our practice tends to, tends to go better, we have more energy for it. Lumpur Chai emphasized over and over again the, uh, the simple teaching of little, speak little, sleep little, uh, practice mindfulness a lot. Uh, so this is the way, if we want to develop mindfulness, develop samadhi, we have to follow the instructions. So we have to be careful how much we're speaking, not to let our mind go out so much with a lot of conversation. Uh, eating is just the same. We have to learn how to eat mindfully and gathering the mind inwards as we eat, not letting it stray off all over the place as we're eating. So this is why we eat in the bowl and generally to find the right level of food for us for the for good practice we generally reduce it a little bit um so they say eat little just so we're not uh, looking to just gather more and more food and let our mind proliferate like that but we try to eat just enough to keep the, the body going for a day and a night and you see if you eat just in the bowl already your mind is gathered centered on that focused on that if you start putting food say in your um, bowl it to the side and you start having little trays of food and cups of food and things then obviously your mind starts going out further doesn't it um, the more it goes like that the, the less mindfulness we have the more proliferation we have so these, these basic practices are helping us to gather our energy draw our mind's attention inwards develop mindfulness whether it's speaking little eating little eating in a restrained way these are very basic but very fundamental practices for for our training. So these are the, um, you might say, the moods of, of good practice or the, the qualities of good practice. Eating little, sleeping little, talking little and the apanaka patibhatas and indriya samwara, mindfulness of all sense contact, learning moderation in what we consume particularly in food learning the right amount of food the mindful way to eat food uh, learning the right amount of sleep not sleeping so little that we're uh, stressing ourselves to the point the mind is just agitated and restless not indulging in sleep so much that we just become lethargic lazy and the mind is, is indulging that way we have to find the the right amount or moderate amount of sleep um, again this is a practice in itself one has to study oneself and the effects of sleep and what on the body and the mind um, say the most probably the most energetic practitioner might just sleep four hours a day um, if that's we find that too too strict uh, guideline and maybe um, increase it a bit but observe how if we eat a lot and unrestrained with food then we tend to also sleep a lot they go together especially you eat a big meal then you'll go back and you want to just sleep when you get to your kuti um, so observe that relationship and so try to be restrained in food and sleep more mindful of that um, because the danger is we're always looking for things to get intoxicated with indulge, indulging whether it's food, sleep, conversation so these basic practices um, we say the practices that are never wrong or the practices that are always right these are the, the basic practices we should be looking to to train ourselves this is the way I how you train yourself to develop mindfulness develop samadhi and gradually get a more under, deeper understanding of the Dhamma so the more experience we become in the practice we'll become familiar with this way of training way of practice and see how each aspect of the practice sila, samadhi, panya grows out of the other and is supported by the other and each supports it, it, 
each other, they all support each other, they're all part of the practice, they're factors of the practice that are indispensable and support each other. Um, so we put a lot of effort in, in the beginning in training the Apanaka Patipata, in sense restraint, moderation in uh, consumption of food, dedication to wakefulness and to developing mindfulness. We, we really put effort into that and out of that will grow our samadhi, our firmness of mind, stillness of mind, peace of mind. Out of that samadhi, the more peace of mind we have, then the more clarity we have. We start to see the true nature of the conditioned world, see the true nature of um, this body in particular. We can develop wisdom and insight this way using the calm states of mindfulness and samadhi that we develop into um, back or support our investigation of the nature of the body to see how this body is actually just made up of the four elements. Um, these four elements are unsatisfactory, they're temporary, they come together and then break apart for their, their nature, they're unsatisfactory for that reason, they're, they're not going to give us any lasting happiness and there's no actual self in them that we can find. The more we investigate with our calm state of mind, developing um, clear, clear awareness of the truth, we can say, well, there's no self in these four elements. They break apart, they go away. There's no one who owns those elements. Or we might turn our attention to contemplating the 32 parts of the body, again, to see their uh, impermanent nature, see the unsatisfactory nature, and to see the lack of self in them. They're just empty of self, and they're the unattractive side of them, see the, the uh, repulsive side of this body, the different body parts, analyzing them, contemplating them. The more we do this, the more our wisdom and our insight will deepen and from that the pity and sukha that we've experienced from the sila and the samadhi will even deepen, it will become even more profound, uh, give the, the mind more joy, more calm, more, more happiness from the practice and from that we can see that it's like they're all parts of the practice that support each other, support, support the arising of peaceful, joyful states of mind, the sila, the samadhi and the panya. When we practice with samadhiti then as the forerunner of the practice, the, the place that is guiding our practice, we have right view, then we'll be developing sila, we'll be developing samadhi, developing panya in the right way and naturally it will bring up um, good results. So the more we develop our sila and our samadhi and investigate the, the, the truth of things, then the more we'll start to, the mind will start to experience peace and happiness from that. Uh, particularly we'll start to investigate the true nature of the body and see um, how before we always used to get attracted by the sight of this form, particularly the female form, um, how it's interesting, attractive, we like to think about it and the delusion or the ripple of that is that we think uh, looking at that form is going to bring us happiness. We have that, that expectation. Um, but what does it actually do to the mind when you're caught into sensuality and attachment to form like that? What does it do to the mind? It blemishes the mind, it darkens the mind, takes away the mind's peace and radiance. But when we start contemplating from our place of mindfulness and samadhi to see the unattractive nature of this body, we start to get a whole different um, experience. We start to feel uh, revulsion, disgust and loosening our attachment to the body. We don't want to uh, attach to the body in that old way anymore. And that insight brings us happiness 
and it's a much deeper, more profound happiness than the happiness of sensual attachment. And so our whole view of things starts to change. It's actually revolutionized and goes in the other way. The more we contemplate to see the unattractive nature of the body, see the suffering of it, the more happiness we have. And the uh, old attachments, we start to want to just let go of them, drop them. As each aspect of the path is practiced, developed, um, with right view guiding us, then our sense of confidence in the, the path of practice, the way of practice, will develop too. It will become stronger. Uh, say, as we contemplate the body like this, and it, it becomes the, the established view, the right view of our mind, that, oh, this body is unattractive, it's repulsive, it's not worth attaching to, then our confidence in the whole path will grow out of that. We'll see uh, the supporting factors, the sila, the samadhi, the investigation, the wisdom that led to that um, understanding, the arising of that right view and the peace that comes from it. We'll see that, oh, this is the right path, this is the path that really brings peace of mind. So our confidence will grow in the whole path. Our understanding of what is the path, what is not the path will be clearer. And uh, the spiritual powers, the spiritual faculties that actually are ultimately going to be the cause for enlightenment, the complete cessation of suffering, will gradually mature out of this. Our faith, our satar, uh, in in the practice will, will grow to the point where it becomes very firm and unshakable. Uh, from that we'll have wiria, we'll have the, the energy, the, we'll have the determination, the energy to keep practicing, applying to the practice. Obviously sati will improve and develop, samadhi will improve from that, panya will improve. Uh, all those five powers, spiritual powers, will mature out of this practice and then there will be no doubt anymore that, oh, this is the way, even if I'm not enlightened yet, this is the way that will take me through to enlightenment and the end of suffering. So there'll be no doubt anymore about what is the path, what is not the path. And as we keep practicing, that practice deepens, the spiritual powers deepen and mature. Then there'll be periods when the mind does gather together, unify, and go in quite deep to states of one-pointedness, stillness, where the hindrances seem to have completely gone, uh, attachments, desires seem to have gone, and just those factors of samadhi, vitaka, vichara, pitinsuka, ikakata, one-pointedness are there. Um, we might not know what to call that, what that state is, but we know all well, this is still and it's much deeper than before. Then coming out of that state, the mind is energized, so clear, so bright. Then if we turn to contemplate the body again, uh, contemplate the body, we cannot help but to see the different aspects of its uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's impermanent, unsatisfactory, and it's not self. The more we do that, or the deeper that contemplation goes, the more we sustain that contemplation coming out of such deep states, then we'll actually experience a sense of the jitter and the body, or the mind and the body separating, this sense of letting go of deeply ingrained attachments, clinging that we've had for so long. It will seem to drop away at that point, and the mind will be left with a sense of emptiness, spaciousness, where that clinging used to be, that clinging is gone, so then actually there's an emptiness of clinging, or emptiness of self. And that comes about from this separation between mind and body that has come through the presence of samadhi and then deep insight into the true nature of things. 
when we have that, then we have a very good reference point. We can see uh, what attachment is, we can see state of without attachment, what they are like, and we can see the difference. And so the, again, the, the mind is in no doubt about what the path is, then it can see what the path is that leads to the letting go of such attachments, and it can see the value of it and the benefits of it. So the, the doubts about practice will disappear again. Practicing like this will lead to a natural development of the mind, of insight, of the path factors. Um, coming out of states of one-pointedness, contemplating to see the true nature of the body, seeing the lack of real self or uh, any owner of this body, seeing the, honor, the body as the 32 parts, the four elements, uh, seeing it as, a, as something that's empty of self, clearly in the mind, then um, this insight will, will deepen. And if we keep repeating it, practicing samadhi, developing one point in this, coming out, contemplating the body, this insight and the clarity of what is the path, clarity of what is the state of attachment and letting go of attachment, letting go of that sense of self, letting go of attachment to the body will become deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, with that, the uh, any doubts or uncertainty about the path will gradually fade away because one knows for sure this is... This is um, something that we can let go of. We can let go of our attachment to this body. The awareness of the separation between the mind and the body will be very, very clear. Uh, separation between mind and defilement, say, our attachment will be very, very clear. And so there, there'll be no room for any doubt anymore. One won't have to ask anyone about the practice, what we have to do, where we have to go in the practice. We'll know for ourselves, oh, this is, this is what it is. This is what it is. Attachment, this is how we let go of attachment. That will be so clear that that's the end of it. One doesn't have to ask anyone can just keep on practicing until one perfects that. Having said this, that um, practicing, developing, deepening our practice like this, we get to the point where we have no more doubts about what the Buddha taught, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Uh, we have that confidence, that clarity in our own practice of letting go of attachment to this body. Um, as a self, as something we, we have a self that owns it or possesses it. Having said that, it's also important to um, keep referring to our teachers, uh, the Kubrajan, who have practiced the way all the way to the end of suffering and letting go of attachment. It's important to keep referring to them, what they've said, um, because there are still traps, pitfalls and um, delusions that we can get caught into during the course of practice. One of the most common or likely um, delusions that could arise is that when does, one does experience states of one-pointedness, deep samadhi, then that sense of peace that arises, the happiness or um, visual images, lights, these sort of things that arise, one can mistake them or take them as the Dhamma, as some kind of attainment. Uh, mistakenly, deludedly, um, and that will actually become a block to the arising of wisdom, to the development of vipassana. So it's important sometimes maybe to consult the teachers or listen or reflect back to on what our teachers have said. And that is, when you come out of deep states of samadhi, is not to um, take those very the experiences of samadhi, the happiness, the visual images of lights and so on, as a as a success, as an attainment, but to actually stop, come back, contemplate the body, use the samadhi, the concentration, the calm to 
as a basis for developing wisdom based around contemplating the body, the true nature of this body, to see it as unattractive, as a super, to see it as uh, an ichadukha anatta, to see it as the four elements, to keep doing that thoroughly. That's the way that we'll really let go of our attachments and the sense of self and break through any of those delusions. So it's important that having um, the faith to come and ordain and practice uh, as a disciple of Ajahn Chah, uh, to stick to the practice, the ways of practice, the ways of training that he gave us. And this has come directly from Lumpur Man, Lumpur Tongrat, Lumpur Ginri and Ajahn Chah. We have the Krubhajan who have proven that this way works. So don't stray from the path. Try to stick carefully, closely to the teachings uh, that they gave. Um, especially in the beginning, don't just believe your own thoughts and opinions about the pra- practice. Set them aside. And even the teachings we do receive from the Krubhajan in the beginning, don't, we don't just believe them or take them uh, full on yet. You have to practice and prove them that they're correct, actually. Um, keep an open mind in a sense that you're practicing to prove what they say rather than just believing it. It's not something to just believe keep practicing but the important thing is if you're really going to prove them that they work you have to follow them follow the way of practice that, that, that they've instructed as I've outlined tonight don't stray uh, away from that if you really want to prove something you've got to follow it right through right through to the end but if you do then you'll gradually get to the point where you have your own inner confidence arises based on your experience in the practice and that of course will mean you have no doubt now you know all this works it really does lead to the letting go of attachment, the end of suffering to a peaceful mind. So I encourage you all to really have patience and endurance and a firm commitment to the practice, uh, to really put your hearts into it, um, to do the practice, study and practice uh, as I've outlined this evening and as in Kalyano is translated for me. And because we have this opportunity, um, I'll say just this much for the moment, but now if you do have any questions about the practice, um, you can ask them and I'll be happy to answer. The important thing in the path of practice, the Buddhist path or the Ariyamaka, Atankikamaka, Eightfold Path, is the um, aspect of Samma Samadhi or Samma is means that that Samadhi is um, together with Panya, wisdom or Samaditi and that is um, contemplation of the Four Noble Truths um, what is suffering, the cause of suffering places, the end of suffering and the path at least to the end of suffering um, that Samadhi is that, that understanding, that right view is incorporated into the practice of Samadhi and the practice of Samadhi is for that end, for realizing the Four Noble Truths. If it's not, then the, you can't call it Samadhi.
So when you practice samadhi, obviously um, the mind goes deeper and deeper to different levels of one-pointedness. Um, but whether it's samadhi or not is whether you're using that state of one-pointedness to develop wisdom and insight into the Four Noble Truths and follow, um, letting go of attachments which, which cause us suffering. Um, when you come out of samadhi, particularly the deeper states of samadhi, uh, say Apana Samadhi, the deep states of one-pointedness, whatever the particular level of refinement, uh, it doesn't matter. When one comes out, then that state of emptiness, spaciousness of mind, one has to take that as uh, a foundation then for contemplation uh, and particularly uh, directing Sati to the four foundations of mindfulness contemplating in the body, in feelings, in the mind itself and dhammas, objects of mind to see them all as um, just that much, the body as just the body feelings as just feelings, mind as just mind, dhammas as just mind as just dhammas, meaning to see the not self or the emptiness of self in these four areas uh, that's what you use samadhi for if it's samadhi to le- loosen one's attachments, one's delusions um, if one doesn't do that, if one is practicing samadhi, deep, getting deep in the states of one-pointedness and just uh, one is ha- experiencing the happiness of that samadhi but not going on to contemplate, then it's not yet samadhi. Okay, Some teachers will um, describe and discuss uh, the deeper states of samadhi and their experience of them and what it's like, descriptions and so on. Um, Venerable Char tended not to talk too much in too much detail about um, the descriptions of samadhi. He encouraged people to get out there and practice, do their practice and experience it for themselves, really know it for themselves. Um, Use Buddha, use the breath, use your meditation object, really develop it, develop, use it to develop mindfulness. Then the states of samadhi will start to arise. The piti sukha, the factors of samadhi will arise. You'll experience them and you'll know them uh, for yourself, which is much more valuable, more important um, than just describing them. The description one hears will always lead one to still doubt and wonder about what it is, what's right, what's wrong. One can only end that by actually practicing it and doing it for oneself. It's important to get a good grounding in, an under, in the understanding of the ways of practice uh, so that one is, can be committed to it, one can be firm in one's understanding then wherever one goes, whether it's here or abroad, one's got um, <coughs> something that one can use, a, a tool, a, a uh, a way of practice that one can use and keep developing wherever one is. Um, I myself, when I was a young monk, yes, I used to doubt about just these same things, about the nature of samadhi, all these different things. And you go and listen to 
and the Kubrajan talk and those doubts would pass away for a while. Um, but unless you de- develop your own practice, put effort there, then gradually the doubts and the uncertainty will come back again and you have to go and see the Kubrajan again and they talk and the doubts will go away but they're not truly um, settled yet until you actually develop your own efforts in the practice and you get a more firmness and confidence in your practice through seeing your, the own, your own results in your own practice, what happens to your mind as you follow these ways of training that I've been outlining tonight. Once you've, you've, you've trained for a while, you've practiced for a while and you can see the results, then you have a confidence that it works and then you just want to keep doing it. Any other questions? Someone in. Novice me, any questions? He says novices first before laying. Probably in the beginning of practice we have to really study uh, Samutitatsa, conventional reality, a lot first to become familiar with that and to see its uh, role. Um, we get to know the names of things that we know. All forms of materiality, mentality, we give a name, a label to. We have um, names, we have our name, uh, all the different labels we apply to ourselves. We have man, we have woman, we have mountain, we have tree, uh, we have a duck, say, from generation to generation, everyone's been calling those kind of birds ducks, and so they're a duck. Everyone calls a chicken a chicken, so generation to generation it's been a chicken, 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 uh, right up to the present where we are right now. But this is all conventional reality, and it's out of conventional reality that liberation or vimuti arises um, by see, basically contemplating to see that, oh, it is just conventional reality, all these names and labels you put on things. Actually, those things, they, there's nothing there that's a duck or a chicken, uh, a person, me, you, all of that is just a label, a superficial label that we put on for the, according to the appearance of things. But really, the true nature of all those things is, is nothing. Does, none of those things know that label or uh, that label has no real meaning deep down when one considers ultimate reality and this is where liberation starts to come um, by contemplating like that but at the same time you do have to understand the right time and place and how to use conventional reality obviously um, you have a cup if you have a cup you pick it up and you, or you tell someone I want my spittoon, and you're referring to the cup, then of course people won't understand what you're talking about. So you have to know how to use conventional reality wisely, properly, uh, to live in the world. Um, so that is a skill one has to um, use. But at the same time, one contemplates, well, a cup doesn't know whether it's a cup or a spittoon. It's, it's just the four elements come together. Um, so these two levels, they go together, these two levels of a conventional reality and ultimate reality and liberation they're together and one arises out of the other but one has to know how to use them in the right time, the right place okay. 
Normally the uh, path factors are weak, so our mindfulness is weak, our samadhi is weak, our wisdom is weak or undeveloped, so any state of knowing, as long as those path factors are weak, it just won't last, it'll kind of fade and the, the chalases take over again, we get caught into proliferation. So this is why we have to train, why we have to practice for developing a continuity of mindfulness and from this we get a firmness of mind or samadhi from this we get that firmness of mind and the calm of that we can use that to support investigation of truth to see uh, an ichadukha anatta of thought proliferation different sankara conditions that arise we can see that and from that we gradually um, detach from, from, from conditions of mental proliferation so that state of knowing becomes firmer and clearer the more we practice um, so if the path factors are well developed and strong then the state of knowing and the separation is strong and clear but as path factors are weaker then it will fade away again so practice is, a lot, is often it's about you know, bringing up the path factors again or the different aspects of the path working together and that state of knowing will be sustained and eventually it's sustained all the time. Is it enough to go back and dwell in it or should one see the secret of the future? Does one need to see the horizon of the future or is it enough to come back to the future? You have to try and return to the knowing as quick as possible. That's your training, tra- training to sharpen your mindfulness so it catches thoughts and moods as they're forming and, and lets go as quick as possible. If you don't train like that, then you'll just get caught into them every time and your mindfulness will get weaker. Um, you know, if you try and just sort of be with a thought, just know this thought as it's arising and passing away, you'll tend to just get caught into, caught into it and your mindfulness will become weaker. So you're always trying to just drop it and come back to the knowing. Much of our practice is just about establishing and re-establishing mindfulness over and over again. When mindfulness is established, then wisdom can operate and deepen, uh, insight can arise. And most of our problems, our suffering arise because we lose mindfulness. As soon as mindfulness is gone, uh, problems. Kilesas come up, raka, dosa, lopa, green hatred, delusion arise when mindfulness goes. But as long as we keep re-establishing mindfulness, it's like there's no place for those later to arise so that, that, that stops suffering arising we practice mindfulness a lot develop it in a continuous way so it becomes like a fence a protective fence around the mind around us um, as long as sati is maintained then that, that fence is maintained 
and panya is like something inside the fence it can operate safely because the fence is maintained protect, protecting the mind and panya wisdom can see the true nature of things very well
especially in the beginning of the practice, it's important to be able to listen to teachers, and there are many teachers, and they'll have different opinions and views about the practice, describe it in different ways. So we have to be able to listen, and then just put what we've heard on one side, not believe it fully yet, not commit ourselves fully to it yet, but actually start practicing for ourselves. And as students of Ajahn Chah, the best thing is to really put, commit yourself to practicing the way he taught, what he said, follow the, the core art, the ways of training, the ways of practice. As you keep practicing, then if you do have doubts come up, you can ask and get some clarification, but gradually also your own experience will come up and that will help answer your, really answer your doubts. That's the only way you'll, you'll really answer doubts and overcome uncertainty through your own experience, your own practice, and you'll gradually come to understand what is the right way of practice, what leads to uh, real um, uh, end of suffering, uh, where, where we're aiming to get, what really leads to that, you'll see, and you'll gradually prove all these different teachings one's heard, what, what is the real teaching and not, well, I'll prove for oneself. So even what I'm saying here tonight, you know, it's just another view on the practice, so at the moment you can listen, take it on in and maybe just put it to one side now and just practice and see well, as you're practicing is this what what's correct as you as you are practicing. And says that's probably enough for tonight. He says you're welcome to have uh, drinks and tea so that you can have some energy towards getting up for the morning meeting, morning practice tomorrow.